Self-sabotage is real. It's something that you create. It's all the problems that stop you from closing a deal that you own. It's not the buyer's fault. It's not the company's fault. Self-sabotage starts with you. It ends with you. And you have to know where you're screwing up and you have to admit that you have weaknesses that have to be fixed. Every single message you deliver is really a sales call. Either you are selling or being sold. Salespeople love to brag about their skills. And the truth is, your success in closing sales depends on your skills, your abilities, and finding the right training. And the great news is, you have come to the right place here at The How to Sell Show with your hosts, Dale Bell and Scott Sylvanbell. And be sure to join the party at howtosell.live and download your copy of The 10 Common Mistakes Salespeople Make. Aloha from Sacramento, California. Today, we are going to talk about something that's uh, near and dear to me. And for a long time now, I've been writing with salespeople pretty much day in and day out for the last 10 years. And I've kept really good notes about what I've seen, what's been happening, doing everything I can to draw correlation to what, what allows a closer to be a closer and what causes a salesperson to fail. And when I got started in sales, that I had books, I had live training, and I had like over the phone coaching because I got started in 2002. And there wasn't really the Skype or the video conference or the podcast or things like the YouTube. Like it was just sink or swim. And salespeople these days, they have it a lot easier when it comes to learning and content. Uh, but figuring out where someone's struggling in the world of sales is something that I've really focused on. And I even wrote a book about self-sabotage. It's about 70,000 words. And I figured I would distill down for you the, the 12 real versions or chapters of pieces of information. Now, I can't give you 70,000 words of content in a podcast. I can give you some highlights of... Now, I want to be very clear about self-sabotage. These are the things that are your fault. These are the things that you have caused. These aren't the things of outside forces... If it is to be, it's up to me. It's not a sales call, it's a performance. Whatever way you want to say it. These are the things that you have to own up to. These are the things that you have to live up to. And the first thing I want to start off with is no practice, no role play. And I don't know how many times I've seen salespeople who are struggling not want to get coaching and not want to get training. And what it comes down to for some of it is they don't want to look dumb and they don't want to admit what they don't know. Writing with salespeople for me Part of the the job is therapy. Part of the job is coaching. And what that comes down to is is just like an objection process, pulling information out of people and saying what's really going on. And a lot of times, you know, people don't want to admit that they're weak in an area. They don't want to admit that they have an issue with something because somebody might make fun of them or they might lose face in front of a team. Instead of of saying, "Hey, look, if I if I get this coaching, I get this training, I'm going to do better," they look at it as punishment. And instead of it being punishment, you you have to realize that it doesn't matter what you do. Even the pros, pro basketball, pro football, pro baseball, like even soccer, like they all have coaches. They all have somebody out there to show them, "Hey, this is what you got to do." Actors have voice coaches. Actors have acting coaches. You know, you name it, every industry has some sort of coaching and some sort of practice involved with it. 
You look at musicians. Musicians, you know, they practice their music. They get together and it might be in a garage. It might be in a studio. But gosh darn it, they practice. And if you really want to improve your ability to close deals, you're going to have to practice in whatever form that is. And the thing that sells people, they're like, I don't want to do this. They kick and scream the most about is role play. I I sit down with managers. I sit down with salespeople. I sit down with call centers. And it's usually about 50-50. 50% of people are like, all right, I'll do it. You know, I'll go first. And then the other 50%, I don't want to do it. I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to look silly. And the second that you get over looking dumb and the second that you get over looking silly, everything gets better. Two, not being prepared for the sales call. Writing with salespeople is very unique. And there are some people who are very tidy with their vehicles or tidy with their office or tidy about what they do. And then there's people who are just like, yeah, you know, I'll make whatever happen. And I remember writing with a sales guy and we were driving to a location and he goes, oh, you know what? I forgot my paperwork. And I said, okay, so let's go back and grab some. Let's let's meet up with somebody. Let's grab some paperwork. And no, 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 no. I'll sell the deal and then I'll go redo the paperwork. So we, we go to the call. Sales guy semi does his job. He gets the buyer to agree in principle and then gets all the way to the end. Oh, I don't have any paperwork. I'll come back and do it tomorrow. Buyer ghosted him. The buyer was like, mm, nope, 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 not going to do it. They found every reason not to buy and they ended up going with somebody else. And this could happen for a lot of different things. It could be uh, paperwork. It could be a display. It could be a presentation. And, you know, that's like, the, like if you're looking at a salesperson, like what's the bare minimum for a salesperson to be a salesperson? Uh, having a presentation and having some paperwork is probably right there in, in what goes along with it. Three on the list, not being on time. You really want to freak people out, show up late to a meeting. You really want to freak people out if you do in-home sales, show up late to the home. You really want to freak people out, show up late to a conference call. It doesn't matter what you sell, okay? It doesn't, like, people these days, hey, you know what? My alarm went off on my phone. My alarm went off on my calendar. There's just salespeople who cannot show up on time. So it's a negative effect on you because the buyer starts going, hey, wait a minute. If you can't show up on time to the first meeting and you're going to put your best foot forward on your first meeting, what's it going to be like, you know, once you get my money? What's it going to be like once we get the the job done? What's it going to be like once you send out the package? What's it going to be like once we get delivery? Are you going to be this way with everything? And when I was a salesperson, man, I would, I would, I would not have very good things to say about salespeople who are late because buyers would say, wow, you know, you're exactly on time. And I'd say, hey, look, you know, how you start a relationship is the whole relationship. And they would tell me, hey, we had a guy come out and he was 20 minutes late. Hmm, that's interesting. That's that's the best he's going to act. Right? That's that's his best, his best uh, foot forward for you. That's his best foot first impression. And, you know, I, I would uh, do everything I could to say bad things, but not in a mean way. So it was just a little dig where the person said, yeah, you know, I see that there's a problem here, but I don't know exactly how to fix it. Now, there's something you need to know about me. I rode with in-home salespeople for a long time. And one of the things that I would do is I would look at people's clocks inside of their homes. And I'm not some weird clock collector. No, I wanted to see compared to the time that I had, how far off their clocks were. And I'm going to give you the two numbers, three to five minutes. Sometimes they were three minutes fast. Sometimes they were five minutes fast. Sometimes they were three minutes slow. Sometimes they were five minutes slow. And there's a reason why I wanted to know this because if I knew that the average person's clock was three minutes fast and I showed up at 
let's say 10 o'clock in the morning, then I was really showing up at 10.03 on their, in their mind, right? The, the clock on the microwave is what I looked at, or the clock that was hanging on the wall three to five minutes late. So I made sure that every appointment that I went to was five minutes early. And people would always say, well, you know, you're right on time. Or, you know, you're five minutes early. Everybody else was late. It's just that's all it took to build a little bit of doubt on the other sales guy. Number four, no energy or enthusiasm. We've all had rough days. We've all had rough nights. But it's not a sales call. It's a performance. You do have to have a certain amount of it, it, certain energy. It's, it's all go time. It's stage time. It's time to give the presentation. It's time to go. And whatever is going on in your life, however you can, it's a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pull back from this. I'm going to let it rest for about two or three hours while I give my presentation or four hours or five hours, whatever you sell, whatever you do. Five, not using a sales process. Uh, pure sales sabotage is flying by the seat of your pants. And you know, new salespeople make a mistake when they see veteran salespeople. Veteran salespeople out in the field, closers, performers, what happens is they're they're on a talking track. They're on uh, another level that new salespeople don't understand and they don't get and they're not going to. It takes time to learn how to say what needs to be said, but not make it feel like it's a script and not make it feel like it's a presentation. When you ride with salespeople, when I rode with salespeople, I would watch the, the posers versus the closers. The closers were purely conversational, but after riding with them, they would give the same presentation over and over and over again. It just didn't feel like it. So a new salesperson would ride with a veteran out in the field and they'd be like, oh, all they do is talk. They don't recognize that that, that closer, that performer is on performance. They're doing what needs to be done. And if you don't have some sort of process, some sort of outline that you work off of, you're working off the buyer's outline. And, you know, a lot of times they don't know what you're doing and they don't know what they're getting and they don't know what to look for. They're looking for you to make sure that you have structure. Six, bad rapport. Oh, my goodness. Some of the worst sales calls that I've written on were bad rapport. Now, there's a lot of elements that go to rapport. One of them is too much rapport. And one of the things that happens when you build too much rapport is there is a point in the brain of the buyer where they do get an advantage over you. And what happens is you start thinking, oh, I'm going to go fishing with this guy. I'm going to hang out with this girl. We're going to go do stuff together. And that's one of the tricks that you got to live through with rapport is rapport means likeness. And there are times where buyers use that against you. Okay, so that's one element of rapport. Another element is people say, talk about family, occupation, recreation, material possessions, alliances, or locations. So you could use the, the word form, or I like to use the word formal. And what happens is it becomes a me also conversation or I know about this topic or I know this person. So let's talk about trophies for a second. I'm looking on my wall and I have a sword. It is a trophy. It was for income earned. And if somebody comes into this office, it's pretty prominent. You can see us displayed and it's a conversation piece. All trophies are conversation pieces. They're all ego pieces, a car, a house, a piece of art, an award. They are all trophies. And if you diminish that trophy or you say that you have one that's better, you're essentially saying my trophy is better than the other person. So if you hold up your hands and put your left hand on the bottom and your right hand on the top and put it about a 12 inch gap. So it looks like you're carrying a box. That's your trophy. And if I come in and go, Hey, my trophy is better. And it's, you know, 24 inches tall or a foot and a half tall or a meter tall. 
then what happens is you're like, oh, that just doesn't feel special anymore. Okay, so that's one bad version of rapport. The next one is me also. So if, if you know, you've done everything that that buyer has done, it becomes a big challenge to, to let that person win. And you know what I'm talking about. We all know the person in the conversation that knows how to do it better. It's not this, it's that. No, you're wrong. And who cares if the, the buyer's wrong, if it's not going to hurt them? Who cares if their story is a little bit off? Who cares if their joke was timed wrong? You know, like if you're constantly correcting people, nobody wants to hang out with you. Seven, pulling back from the sale. Now this happens because of rapport. This happens because of nervous energy. You know, buyers, when you meet with them, they'll say stuff like, I'm not buying today. You know, don't try to close me. Don't try to do this. Don't try to do that. And it's an intimidation factor. And salespeople will start feeling like they're losing the deal. They're in free fall, meaning they're in panic about what's going on. So it's panic plus loss of control. And what they do is they pull back in the presentation and they shortcut the presentation. And in their mind, if they shortcut the presentation, they built enough rapport, they've had a good conversation with the buyer, then what they can do is they can get to the end and they can close, but the buyer doesn't know what they're getting. And the buyer feels rushed and the dance hasn't occurred. There is a, a progression of things that happen as people buy. And if you don't allow them to have that progression happen, it, it causes a lot of problems. That can lead to number eight, talking bad about your product, company, or competition. You've built rapport. You've got a good feeling with the person. And now you want to give them the goods. You want to tell them what's really going on. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about leaving this company. Nobody wants to buy from you if you're thinking about leaving the company. Yeah, our product is okay. No, I can't ever remember a time where I say I want to buy an okay product. I want a really good product. And so your language patterns really do matter, especially once you've built rapport. And sometimes people will use it against you to talk trash on the competition. And this is usually danger. Talking trash on the competition can cause you a lot of problems. And people will use this as a way, as an in to gain an advantage of over you. Uh, to to gain uh, power over you. And the way that they do this is they, they talk trash on the competition and they say, this guy's delivery time sucks. And they get you to buy and like, yeah, that guy delivery time sucks. Ours is way better. We'll do everything we can to beat them. And so anything that you say in the sales presentation is going to be held against you in the court of law of the buyer. They're going to do everything they can to say, well, hey, well, time out. These are all the things that you promised and you, you told me that you, I was going to get on delivery. And, um, I didn't get those things. And it, it allows for them to complain. Number nine, getting towards the end of the sales presentation and automatically discounting or being in the close and automatically discounting. You know, if, if somebody calls on a special and your product's $10,000 and it's $500 off, by all means, give them the $500 off. But if you've got a $10,000 product and you're allowed a 20% discount and you walk in and you give that 20% up right off the bat, like there, it creates doubt. Like where, where in the world I had a $10,000 product and you're giving it to me for eight. Oh my goodness. You know, Hey, I've got a problem. Where's the bottom? Where's the real price? And it creates some issues. Number 10, not asking for the sale. And so many times I would, I would ride with salespeople and they would get to the end and the salesperson would say, all right, well, the product is $10,000. And the, the buyer would not know what to do. There was no, hey, the product's $10,000 in order to get started. All I need is a driver's license. There's no, hey, the product is $10,000. Uh, we can get you delivery tomorrow. There, there's no next step. 
There's, there's no asking for the sale. I rode with a guy one time for three days and it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. He would get to the end and he would not say the price out loud. Let's say the product was $10,000. He would take his pen and instead of pointing with the, the writing end of the utensil, he'd flip his, his pen over and say, all right, well, here's how much it is. And he would not say the price. So like the buyer says, okay, so $10,000. And the guy said, yeah, the price is right here on the piece of paper. Okay, $10,000. Yeah, right here. And it, for whatever reason, he just had a shyness of saying, this is how much the product, the service, the widget, or the gizmo is going to be. Number 11, weak negotiation skills. Uh, I will tell you some of the best content that I found for negotiation comes from Jim Camp. He wrote, start with no and know the only negotiating tool you ever need. And Chris Voss, um, never split the difference. Those three books right there uh, can change the way that you do sales, can change the way that you do everything. You got 60 bucks if you buy them all brand new. You got maybe $40 if you buy them all used. But you know, most salespeople are lazy. That's not you. You're listening to a podcast. You learn how to get better. Most salespeople will not spend 20 bucks on investing in themselves. And, you know, for them, they think it's the, 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 the job of the company that they work for, for their boss or for their manager to invest in them. Hey, you know, the world of sales, the more that you invest in yourself, the faster things go. You know, closing, you want to you get better closing abilities, it comes down to you investing in yourself. That's the fuel. Number 12, no follow-up. No follow-up. Here's my general rule. If I sit in a meeting with anybody and they don't buy from me, like it's my duty to go, hey, I got to recoup that time. I got to do everything possible. So I've got a podcast or an episode of all the ways that you can follow up. I think I got 18 different steps in there and they're pretty generic and pretty easy to follow. But like, if you don't have a follow-up plan, come on, really? They, like in sales, they'll tell you the fortune's on the follow-up. The fortune is in the follow-up. There's so many salespeople who say like, I'm a one sit close and they won't let it go out and get out of their ego. So what they do is they go to the appointments and they, they use the marketing, they get to the appointment and then they do nothing with it. You know, you have a lot of ability to defeat self-sabotage. It, it is a real deal. And when you start paying attention to what you have control over and what you don't have control over, the real deal is, is it's you against you and sales, not everybody else. Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.